Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 17. We can all admit that the world feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket most days. Everything feels so doom and gloom every single time we turn on the news or our phones, and it's a lot to handle. And it can spark outrage in even the most Gandhi-like person. Between everything happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, with LGBTQAI rights, with the current political environment, with COVID for crying out loud, everything just feels so overwhelming and it feels like we are just in this socially stuck place. And that's why it was so awesome to sit down today with Steve Davis, who just published the book Undercurrents, Channeling Outrage to Spark Practical Activism. This book is just chock full of all of his real life examples and then practical things that we can all be doing as actual practical advocates and really just dive ourselves into the activism world when we are so upset with the things that we're seeing. It's so easy to just complain and drag our feet and tweet about how angry we are at the world. It's a completely different thing to actually take the things that upset us and channel it into something positive and start actually changing the world so that it's what we want to see more of. I know that that sounds a lot easier said than done, but the fun part is that Steve breaks all of this down for us today. And if you need any more information past this interview, go check out his new book. It has been released literally for less than a week. Um, It's so good. It's so inspiring. You guys are really going to love that. But without further ado, I'm so excited to share this interview with Steve Davis. Steve, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and how you got to become the professor and author and activist that you are today? Sure. Yeah, my name is Steve Davis, and I currently um, am uh, a lecturer at Stanford Business School in Social Innovation. But I do a fair number of other things right now, too. I just finished an eight-year gig um, as the CEO of PATH, one of the largest NGOs in the world, really working on global health innovation. And I also chair the, or co-chair the World Health Organization t- a Digital Health Advisory Group, so quite involved in uh, how uh, technology and innovation can help support uh, global health and development. Mm-hmm. So you were the CEO of PATH. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and some of the role that you did for the last eight years with them? Sure, yeah. Now, PATH is an amazing organization that I was privileged to not only um, be the CEO of for uh, about eight years, but I also have uh, sat on its board earlier for uh, about a decade. And PATH is actually a bit of a hidden gem because it's uh, one of the largest, actually, NGOs in the world um, working um, in global health. Uh, but it's uh, very focused on health innovations. So, 
uh, how do you develop next generation vaccines or drugs or devices or diagnostics or digital tools or new service models to reach uh, the uh, communities that otherwise aren't being reached or that uh, markets aren't able to address. So we are uh, one of the largest partners of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, as there and, and work with them a lot on everything from a new malaria vaccine and a new pneumococcal vaccine to next generation uh, diagnostics for things like Ebola and um, and uh, you know other diseases working on COVID, and then uh, a lot of work around the world. So we worked in um, several uh, thirty or forty countries where we ha uh, were doing a lot of work with ministries of health. And Path is actually kind of a unique NGO in the sense that it works at such scale. So every year, about two or three hundred million people each year we touch the lives directly of with uh, health-saving innovations. That is fantastic. And obviously couldn't be more timely in our COVID era <laughs> right now. Yeah. And so I should, I could follow up a little bit. I, you didn't answer that. I realized the second half of your question, which is what did I do there? Well, I mean, I did play a number of roles over the years. I was a board member and quite active to help them on strategy and, 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 you know, resources. Um, I actually ended up uh, being asked at a different point in my career to go help run its indie office. So lived in Delhi for a year and, and helped shape that strategy and, and team. And then, um, and then as CEO, of course, you're kind of, you know, kind of in charge of everything and nothing at the same time, because you've got create people around you doing all the smart thinking and work. But I was in charge of making sure that we were meeting the expectations of our donors and our funders, that we were uh, building great teams and that we were doing smart things strategically. So it was a really fun run. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of, so a large part of this podcast is nonprofit work and having people really dive into those leadership positions. So I'm kind of curious, what is something that you loved about the nonprofit field and what is something that you wish to see changed in the nonprofit field? Boy, they could write several new books on that. Um, yeah, no, I have to say, I, I think the um, nonprofit work uh, world is is unbelievably underrated professionally, um, as it's um, such an exciting in place to work. And I've tried to encourage my students and friends and you know young colleagues around the world to think really positively about the nonprofit community. To, um, so I love the passion uh, that people bring to it you know usually there's very good mission driven work um, the uh, sort of diversity although I think we need more diversity but the diversity of of, of talent and, and ideas um, and you know you have it's it's quite satisfying if you build that capability and then and then um, and then be able to to deliver um, I also uh, you know at the end it's about the people right you, you've got uh, you know, you get to work with some really important people in the world, whether you're I'm talking about, you know, health workers in their communities in rural Africa who are really changing the lives of their village, or you're working with Bill Gates or, you know, Chelsea Clinton or others who are actually helping shape that and fund it globally. So um, it's been pretty exciting to work at that level. Um, but it is a crazy world too. I mean, it has a lot of problems. Um, first of all, I think it reputationally, I would love the nonprofit community to be a more seen as sort of a, a, I think there's a lot of mythology around it. Like and I was reading a, a report just yesterday where somebody said, well, you know, as always, the nonprofit community was a nonprofit model was very inefficient and uh, very, um, you know, didn't, had no urgency. 
and I'm thinking, but I don't know what world he's this person was from, but uh, <laughs> a lot of nonprofit leaders I know are amazing what they can do with a small amount of resources and are very, very very efficient and and you know I think we have an undeserved uh, reputation because I think there's an immense amount of talent and ideas. Um, the problem with the nonprofit community is the business model just is really flawed. That we're being asked to deliver with a tremendous amount of pressure and oversight in areas and communities on services and products that, frankly, market-driven forces aren't failing to do. Governments are failing to do. There's either market failure, policy failure, other problems. And, and yet, we've had a huge amount of expectations to do that, and the pricing model is sort of a, a race to the bottom. So, I, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and work really hard, I would say, let's rethink a bit the way we legitimize the nonprofit work we all do and fund it in a way that's more sustainable. Oh, absolutely. I always say it's a joke on this podcast so far. My first day of business school, my professor said, was breaking down all the different types of business and said, and then there's nonprofit people who are the most ruthless people out there because they have to do so much more with so much less. <laughs> and I've always yeah, loved exactly. that. That's why that, you know, I look at, you know, I've worked in the corporate America a lot and there's a lot of wonderful things there as well and a lot of challenges. But, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, um, I would argue that having been both a founder and a leader of multiple nonprofits, uh, uh, businesses, or, or board member businesses, or and government uh, commissions and things, um, I would say nonprofit leadership has been both the most rewarding and the most challenging because oh, of, of sure. all those things I just described. Yeah, for sure. Well, and kind of so segueing into that, that really brings in the book that we want to discuss today that you just wrote. And at the time of this podcast airing, it will have just been out for six days, which will be super exciting. Um, so it's undercurrents channeling outrage to spark practical activism. So first and foremost, what was your inspiration to write this book? Yeah, well, these things, you know, are, are, these book projects are, are journeys, and, and, and my journey at never one source, but I was struck um, over the last couple of years, both in my teaching and my work and the speaking around the world, how, how the, sort of this negative narrative that everything was going, you know, to hell in a handbasket, that, you know, nothing was seen to be working, that the world was getting worse and worse. And the headlines certainly reinforced that. Um, and yet, you know, I would always urge people to say, you know, but the trend lines are somewhat counter to that, not to say there's not big problems, but we're seeing more people live better. We're seeing more innovation. We're actually seeing improved well-being in many places in the world, etc. So how do we rebalance that narrative? So I was pretty inspired to say, let's, it's time we kind of go out, be more bold about the opportunity to have impact as an activist. And then what happened is um, there's several people that have written these about, you know, like uh, Hans Ro Rosling and Steven Pinker about how the, you know, the, the facts of the world are, are getting better in many instances. And I thought rather than taking it sort of from an 
academic point of view, I would take it from more of a practitioner's point of view, sort of somebody, sort of stories about people that have actually lived that, those facts and rolled up their sleeves and, and made a difference. Um, and so identifying five macro trends uh, or what I call undercurrents that are actually pulling us forward um, in, in great ways um, and that I hope gives courage and ideas and, um, and momentum to potential activists or activists around the world. Yeah, no, it's like I said, I've been trying to speed read this as much as possible in the last three days. And it really is sensational. And I think it really is going to help light a fire under a lot of people who are maybe feeling that outrage and don't know where to put it productively. So really quickly, can you just walk us through what the five main undercurrents are that you've outlined in the book? Sure, and and thank you for the the nice compliment. Um, uh, yeah, the, these are five. As I said, I call them undercurrents. There's a bit of a a water metaphor that I use. I grew up uh, as an irrigator on the ranch in Montana, so kind of played <laughs> off that metaphor. But um, and and recognizing I've had oh, my I've rivet, ridden different waves in my own life, and using that as a bit of a backdrop. But the five undercurrents that I identified um, or macro trends. The first is um, that the world is basically improving. Uh, and, and I and I've characterize it by uh, the metaphor that we talk about or the design often is the the pyramid that we're, you know, the base of the pyramid, the poor people at the base of the pyramid and rich people at the very top. And and yet, if you look at the demographics of the world uh, by net income and wealth, et cetera, that we're actually now more of a diamond. So many more people around the world have actually gone out of dire poverty into more of a middle class. And that phenomena of constant economic you know improvement now it's not consistent there's certainly communities and countries where that's not true but that overall is a good trend that should give us all courage and hope and it means businesses have more incentive to get involved it means we have to focus on communities in rich and poor countries that need help rather than just poor countries the second trend is um, what I call communities as customers and this is a parallel trend but as all of those uh, uh, those changes have occurred what's happened is all these sort of institutions and capacity of many communities around the world, both globally and, and domestically, are really growing. And there's more comp competency, there's more capability, there's more good institutions. So communities are actually taking on their own agency and voice to make change. And that's always, of course, been the case. I'm not saying this is a new phenomenon in the world, but the power of that has really been magnified lately. And so we see all sorts of examples, um, whether it's in the United States of, of of, of local organ, um, you know, cities deciding what they're going to do about climate change, not waiting for the federal government, or or communities uh, designing interventions around health or education around their own by themselves, not being recipients of aid or passive uh, recipients. So I think this is a super exciting uh, trend in activism, and it, you know, a lot of uh, human-centered and community-centered um, approaches are happening. The third I talk about is the one we're all seeing very clearly this summer in the United States and elsewhere, but is really the viewing activism through more of an equity lens, which, you know, again, it's not like we haven't done that in the past, but there's such more power to it right now that we're seeing focused on, you know, whether it's racial uh, or ethnic, you know, somebody said in a call I had early this morning, caste and caste and, um, and race and other kinds of dimensions and gender. And we're actually seeing so many opportunities 
opportunities to reframe activism around that um, pursuit of equity, both in the way we manage and work on our own organizations and the nonprofit world, and we have a lot of work to do to improve that, but also in the programs we do and the policies we advocate for. So I think that's a, a very uh, challenging road ahead, um, and, but I think there's a lot of opportunity there uh, that should inspire activists. Uh, the fourth is the one that everybody talks about all the time is the digital revolution. And again, nothing terribly new, but I'm a very much, uh, I mean, I spend a lot of my life and time working on this. This is my particular area of specialty. And, um, is sort of digital innovation in the, in the global health and development and social innovation. And, and um, I mean, net-net is it's a very positive trend for activists. We're going to be able to do so much more with the tools, with the data, being able to reach people in a new and different ways. I mean, it's such a powerful trend, but it, of course, has its challenges, and we have to confront those challenges. But I feel like we've kind of gotten on a, even a negative narrative there. And I want to sort of remind people that net-net, this is going to be pretty and, amazing and, and to ride that wave. And then the fifth wave I talk about or, or macro trend is that the wave that we're moving toward more and more focus on actually scaling up innovation and adapting for scale. That, you know, we have just had so many new ideas in the last few uh, couple of decades that have been uh, nurtured and celebrated, but a lot of them aren't actually reaching that many people. And so there's been a pivot in the last, you know, five years or 10 years on how do we actually take those ideas and get hundreds hundreds of millions of people to actually benefit from them. And what is that going to take? And I teach this at Stanford. And so I focus a lot on some of those dimensions, multi, you know, sectorial cooperation and partnerships and other things. But so, but it's a, it's exciting one too. I, I describe it as making the sexy, the middle sexy, meaning that the, the, the road from sort of an idea all the way to last mile impact in the middle is all the kind of nuts and bolts, hard work, but we got to get more activists focused there and making that sexy. Yeah, well, that's actually funny. That was one of my favorite of the five that you outlined was the surprising sexy middle. And what I find oftentimes, because I work with a much younger and like up and coming nonprofit demographic of people. And I think the problem is that a lot of people get super excited. They're jazzed about their idea. They want to go for it. And then when they hit their first couple of bumps, that fire is really, really fast to die. So how how can people stay properly like motivated and determined like within this activism work when it's not always fun and games and, and your feelings still lit from that passion? Yeah, well, it, you know, that's great you, you raise it because that's actually the premise behind both the chapter and this sort of class I teach and, and other work is, and I kind of, again, describe it as we've sort of have a romance with the innovator's garage or the first, you know, the first idea, the ideas and design. And we actually kind of have a, and, and we celebrate it. We give awards, Nobel Prizes, all that. And then we also kind of love the, the last mile delivery and that's very, you know, you know, people you know, actually being, you know, building the house or, you know, providing the, 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 the food or whatever. And both of those are essential. Don't get me wrong, but it's that really a middle stuff that it, that is to your point, it's demotivating often because you start hitting real road bumps. It's traditionally, which is part of the demotivation poorly funded. So mm -hmm. if you actually look at, we've done some, you know, that a lot of times donors would rather give to the first and last 
last mile, but not the middle stuff. It's kind of messy. So it sometimes involves, you know, complicated business partnerships. It sometimes involves, you know, a lot of testing and adaptation. It sometimes involves regulatory processes. It means how do you get things launched into markets and how do we, you know, break down, you know, uh, cultural barriers to do that and things like that. And so it's kind of complicated stuff. So, um, so my, my view is that uh, it, it can be sexy, um, you know, if you live in that space, because it's sort of the problem solving nuts and bolts work of what I call practical activism. This is sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to win you any awards, but it's going to, it's so satisfying, even taking a little slice of that problem and saying, I'm going to work out how to get the business model improved or how to find, go write grants or how to go, um, uh, you know, engage. And so the way I try to encourage people is one is um, to paint the picture that this is going to be a bumpy road. So start by, you know, kind of setting expectations that there's nothing that's very linear or, or easy about it. I think the second is, um, you know, providing some uh, uh, ways to say, look, here's the kinds of things you're going to hit. You're going to hit a bump over here, here, and here's some of the ways others have resolved that, um, you know, by either doing some more flexible planning in their business or by coming up with an alternative distributor or something like that. And, and there's a million of them, of course. And then the final thing is, I mean, I think we just have to um, celebrate it more. I, I feel like we actually tend to not celebrate the people that are kind of the practical activists doing a lot of the grunt work in the middle. And so I'm trying to do that a bit with my book. I'm, you know, trying to encourage others to celebrate those kind of practical activists. And even on our book website, we're actually featuring people doing that. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. So, and kind of going back to the middle that we're really in right now, and even to the title of the book, like, I feel like we are in such a tremendous wave of outrage right now between things with LGBTQI and Black Lives Matter and COVID and the political, the current political environment that we're in, like people are just... <laughs> People are fired up and there's protesting yeah. happening all the time. And there's a quote from your book that really stuck out to me, which was, um, marching channeled my rage, but left me frustrated because protesting is necessary, but insufficient to produce tangible outcomes. So I really want to discuss that because I think that's so timely to what's going on right now with the current protesting environment. Yeah, well, it's a really relevant, and and I have to say, I was a little reluctant. Um, uh, honestly, the, the the timing the publisher wanted for the release of the book was in this election cycle, and I was like, well, I was always told you weren't supposed to publish in this election cycle, and they said, well, with the kind of book you have in the title, not so bad. So, um, you know, because of that, the outrage that we all see and feel around us on so many levels, on on, on all sides of the political spectrum, actually. Um, so, um, you know, I make the point in the book quite a few times times how important that kind of what I call street activism is. We need to raise voice even louder. I'm actually surprised there's not even more. Um, and that that's a very important role. And I never would want to diminish it because it, um, you know, it motivates people. It draws attention to an issue. Often it helps influencers, um, you know, come forward and start rethinking things. And we've certainly seen that in, 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 this, in this current environment around uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and and it also um, you know it's it's actually helps provide 
I used to, you know, kind of use, and this is a bit probably too much of a military metaphor, but it, it provides sort of air cover, you know, like, okay, now we've got the, the people's attention. Now we have to kind of come in and, and, and take a, a and, and work on the next wave of issues. Um, so I, I think it's super important, but I also feel like, you know, in, in, in some of the work I've done, and maybe it's my own comfort level, but then afterwards you've got to mobilize and go get stuff done. Um, and, uh, and advocacy is not the solution, it's a framing for new solutions. So I think that what sometimes people feel is they've got to be, you know, frontline protesting activists to be an activist. And I'm like, no, you can be a practical activist by being that person that comes along behind the protesters um, and, you know, says, okay, what are we going to really do in my company to mobilize people around uh, racial equity? What are some of the ideas that I can do in my community to change the way gender uh, roles work in our neighborhood work? You know, those kinds of questions are, are at the end somewhat very practical and people have to think about, okay, can I set up a, a, an organization? Do I need to go raise some money? Do I call my legislature for policy change? Do I, um, do I, you know, and so I think that's a very important part of this is how do you follow up um, those uh, and, 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 and kind of that next wave. And, and I think it's also a place where more and more people who feel outraged, but they're also feeling a little bit immobilized. They don't know what to do with that outrage should sort of say, Hey, you know, you don't, it's great if you want to go protest, which I am fully endorse on, you know, if that's something you believe in and if I, but you know, he, there's other ways to engage that might actually use more of your innate skills. If you're an accounting person and your outrage will help, you know, a nonprofit with their, you know, board work on accounting financing. If you're, you know, if you like to, um, uh, you know, do tutoring, you know, come in, it's, that's what we need is people to come in and kind of follow through. And, and I hope we can see more of that from the outrage we're all feeling. And I think, I, you know, my view is it, regardless of the way the election comes out, we're going to have a lot of people outraged uh, in, in January, given the split in this country, and there's a lot of need for reconciliation. And I'm hoping that, you know, uh, we can be a voice to say, look, the way we reach more reconciliation is through activism, and, but it doesn't have to be, you know, kind of activism the way I thought about it, you know, in, 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 in when I was a, a, a younger person, but more this kind of nuts and bolts practical activism. And just the final comment on this is, I really saw this firsthand, and I mentioned this in the book, um, as a younger gay activist in the, in the 80s, and, and, and I was living in New York, my partner and I were uh, with um, when AIDS hit, and, you know, so we were very much caught up in, you know, burying friends and being terrified of that particular plague. Um, and, and, I, and of course, protested, and there were some very, very, very active protests act up in St. Patrick's Cathedral, et cetera. And those were great, but what I, that's when I realized I was less comfortable doing that and more comfortable than going in and working hours on legal briefs to help take a case to a court. And just that was less sexy maybe, but it was where I wanted to put my energy because I thought that had a shot of tangible results. We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you wanna make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully, there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. 
and the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theownaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's theonaboutique.com and use code IMPACT. But I like what you said in the middle there of, you know, that protesting is important and it has its place in our activism world. But then, you know, to follow it up and like bring it home, like hone in on your talent, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I think doing a lot of that like pro bono work, kind of going back and do a social enterprise mindset of having like a one for one, I think is is absolutely going to be, and I know this phrase is overused, but like that's going to be our new normal in the nonprofit and even the business world. I don't think that, you know, causes and for-profit companies will ever be separated ever again. I think they're only going to keep molding together. So the idea of just using your talents in any way that you have for an organization like that is fantastic. Um, I, I agree. In fact, yeah, I end up because I've had sort of a, a funny career where I've hopped around a bit and worked across, um, as I mentioned, uh, private and public and social sector organizations. So people sometimes come to me who are sort of in their kind of maybe mid-career or mid-life moments to say, I'd love to do more or I have more impact. I'm outraged. How should I use my time? And I always sort of frame it around, well, there's a couple key questions at the beginning. One is, you know, do you want to spend your hours of the day doing something quite different like you're tired of being you know a, a, you know a, the the accountant and i don't mean to pick on accountants but you're but you want to actually go use a different muscle so you're going to go why don't then if that's the case you know go think about going and volunteering so teaching or doing other things that are quite different and i said or are you the kind of person that really wants to actually keep doing what you really know well how to do and yet but just applying it for a different outcome and and it's interesting. I'd say more people pick the latter. They really want to, you know, take their own time and talent, uh, you know, in a comfortable way that's very practical to them and then apply it on high impact social ideas. And so I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, I think something else that you mentioned in the book too is I think doing that, something like that, we're just using like those same talents and just putting them in different areas helps us, especially as like younger people form those identities, you know, and like figure out a little bit more like who we are in our place in the world is if we start really channel or channeling the things that we're already good at and <laughs> not trying yeah. to make something new out of thin air. Yeah. Um, so and it gets that- to that idea that th- these are pretty blurred lines anyway, between mm-hmm. what well, you can do great, high high impact social activism as a corporate employee and as a nonprofit employee as a volunteer i mean i think we also have to get out of this framing that you know i have to go work for a nonprofit to have social impact like you know there's so many ways people can find practical ways to be good social activists Yeah, I love that. So something else on that, you said um, early on that you felt like a very unlikely candidate for global activism. Um, But I, again, I find a lot with the people I'm working with that there's a lot of common themes among people who are just really, again, like inspired and generated to, to, to just make change, make impact in the world. So you've done a lot more global travel than I have. Is there like common qualities or things that you find when you're meeting people for the first time that really kind of tie the the global activism and the impact makers together? Well, thanks. Yeah, and my comment about being an unlikely candidate was probably, you know, a, 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 
you know, I guess now I can start talking about literary license, artistic license in a gross overstatement, because of course, <laughs> there's no single set of characteristics or profiles of activists. And I'd never suggest that actually, it's a very heterogeneous community. Of, and in, in fact, it needs to be more diverse. But, but I guess the reference was more from a small town sort of farm boy guy uh, to be doing all this global work. I mean, it just was, as, you know, I kind of went came from a fairly isolated place to a lot of global work. But also, you know, I do think that we often, again, celebrate people who have these really compelling narratives who've, you know, come out of dire poverty and, 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 and made something of themselves and, and, and or, um, you know, brilliant breakthrough ideas, which I think are amazing. It's just, I don't have any of those. I'm just kind of more your boring person that, you know, doesn't have a great, you know, really particularly compelling life story, but I just figured, let's have, go figure out how to help others. But, so I think there are some characteristics, um, you know, even in that heterogeneity, when I sort of look at practical activists around the world and some of them I write about or I I honor, I mean, certainly, you know, I think you quickly um, see empathy um, hitting pretty high levels that people uh, try, at least, even if they could be ruthless, as you say, they're trying to put their, you know, doing work on behalf of others often uh, means you have to really try to think about how the world looks to them. And um, I think uh, I see a lot of amazing curiosity among my colleagues, you know, people trying to imagine what it would be like to see a different outcome. And it's sort of curious and sort of alternative because uh, I work a lot on the innovation side. So that means, you know, a lot of people thinking, you know, kind of with uh, uh, testing boundaries and, and things like that. I, I certainly see um, compassion as an attribute that, um, you know, that you've got a sort of it, it comes with alongside of the empathy, but it's a bit of a different flavor that it's 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 actually not only, you know, trying to put yourself in their shoes, but also feel, feeling that there's there's no they're trying to be more judgment free about it um and 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 then I, and then i do think some type of outrage is a useful tool and i see you know most of my friends do this work if you after a beer or two you know can really you know can hold it together during the day and you know try to be judicious about what's going on and you know relatively you know calm about the need to keep moving forward and keep you know keep your eye on the ball and the bend you know the arc of justice bins and all that but at the end of the day are pretty outraged about something so um i i think it's good to tap into that outrage yeah for sure so on that kind of note and you actually mentioned this in the beginning but when the world does seem to be and as you quoted going to hell in a handbasket and our media headlines are just nothing but doom and gloom like how do you stay so optimistic and positive for the future yeah, I um so it's an interesting question because I, you know, I lose a lot of sleep uh, over the state of the world. So I, I wouldn't ever suggest that, you know, things are beautiful and 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 it's all going to just work out. Um, um, but I do think those anxieties help me, you know, wake up in the morning and say, okay. Just, you know, sort of a few things, break it down into its smaller parts, you know, don't let the magnitude of the challenge overwhelm you and say, what can I kind of get done today? Or what can I or encourage the team or partner or whoever to work on today? So that that actually helps, you know, making it manageable and bite sized. Um, I think that um, I, I do believe strongly as the theme of the book is about that there are um, often more invisible or less visible trends that are 
encouraging and have, you know, room for power and, and, and opportunity. So, uh, you know, trying to hone in on those and being optimistic. So turning my, you know, outrage, not only into activism, but you almost have to turn it to some form of optimism uh, before you can turn it totally to activism. And, and in that optimism is, you know, sort of going back to a, a line we're all hearing right now, but, you know, the, the, this whole, you know, the Martin Luther King line about the arc of progress, uh, you know, bends toward justice that eventually will get there. And we've seen it over and over. Uh, I certainly have lived that, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, I could certainly say in a number of things I've worked on, but, you know, the, as, a, as a gay man uh, growing up in a very uh, conservative and, and pretty oppressive community, you know, that to imagine what we are able to experience today, which does not diminish the fact that there's a lot of horrible things that are still happening, but, we've st but we're making progress slowly in most places. Um, so I think that's another fine. And then I actually just really try to focus on gratitude that, you know, that, uh, that we're, um, you know, appreciating what I have uh, more than trying to figure out what we don't have. And then, you know, I've been very lucky, so I, I, I appreciate that, but, but also gratitude at the opportunity to do this work and to work with so many amazing people. Um, to me, that's amazingly powerful in the morning. Yeah, for sure. I am just kind of curious, do you ever take like news breaks <laughs> just to, you know, kind of cut down on some of that negativity to make it easier on gratitude or no? Are you kind of like, no, I, I do. I need to do it that more. Actually, my okay. husband told me to do that the other day he said why don't you just not look at you're reading the same article over and over in five different you know things just you know what it is just go back to so I do what I'm trying to do is um, to get you know get off social media and news sites uh, and again give myself like twice a day to mm -hmm. go, go and catch up um, and then not get so pulled into you know who said what and who's who's reacting to what tweet um, that that helps I mean partly you know keeps me distracted and busy I I also am a huge believer in, you know, not only breaks from news, but breaks from all of this. I mean, so, you know, I have my things I do. I'm sure a lot of people do, whether it's, you know, I'm a runner and I kayak and I, and I, you know, try yoga, although I'm horrible at it, but, you know, I, I try to do things that, um, you know, actually take my mind completely somewhere else uh, and make that a, a daily habit. Yeah, absolutely. So I like, wrapping up a lot of our interviews with this question and it's it's hard because you have such a very <laughs> active lifestyle in this um even outside of of the book but how what's your favorite way that you strive to make an impact in the world just every single day i think um <laughs> that is hard and it's hard because i think it's changed over my life um I think in a earlier phase of my life, I was, okay, let me go try to solve a problem. And if I can pick one problem and I can work on it and kind of problem solver, um, you know, that gave me a motivation and optimism and, and, and then I could be um, uh, inspired by that. I actually think as I've gotten a little wiser and older, maybe not wiser, but certainly older, I, I've realized that I'm really not it's not okay or I'm not in the, I don't want to be 
uh, in the role of solving other buddies, other people's problems. We need to kind of get out of that uh, that model. And and I really don't have the power to solve someone else's problems, you know. So what I have to do is actually solve my own problems or get out of the way and let other people um, do their work. Now, how do I support them, etc. So then I now focus on less solving the problem, but what can I do to support two or three people today? What can I do to give them some encouragement, maybe help them uh, uh, think through an idea? What can I do to um, make them feel better about the world? I mean, those are the kinds of things that um, give me um, both encouragement, but give me the ability to have an impact uh, if, I, if I practice what I preach, which of course I don't always do, but um, yeah. So, so how do I just pick a couple people today that I'm gonna try to see if I can help and it, on their journey is the role I'm in now. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, Steve, this has been such a treat. So again, the time of the airing of this episode will be six days after your book came out. So where can people find you, connect with you, get a copy of the book for themselves? Uh, Give us all those details. Sure. Yeah. No, the book's uh, going to be available in uh, all the usual suspects. Um, obviously, Amazon and some of the other online booksellers, it's already uh, available for pre-order. And it um, uh, also uh, will be in, in, in a number of bookstores. Um, uh, we also have a website, undercurrentsbook.com, which you can go to and learn more about the work. It's featuring going to start featuring practical activists around the world and, and of course, uh, available. And then uh, we're actually going to do some interesting interesting things. Uh, we're starting to get a, uh, you know, sort of a book club process to help support book clubs that want to talk about the book. And I'm, I'm you know, with the guide and I'll participate some webinars and, and some things like that uh, for, for organizations uh, who want to talk more about this and think about some of these ideas. And, and then um, we're hoping to do a give to givers. So if, you know, buy one, give one free um, project to help a, a nonprofit leaders around the world who uh, may not have the capacity to buy the book, but we'll be able to give one to them. And so we're working on that as well. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on today. This was such a treat. I think this will be very helpful and hopefully very motivating to a lot of people who just feel the need to, to kind of get something done and, and go out in the world like that. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.